Welcome to Phone Messages, Episode 107, Sitting at Home. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play message number three from Anjali Grant. It most likely comes from the late summer of 1989 and is just under 10 seconds long. After it plays, we will hear Anjali's response. Here we go. Hello, I'm sitting at home. Please give me a call. Anjali, bye. I have no idea. Clearly, I'm bored, or maybe we made a plan and you were going to call me. You know, it could have been party time, you know what I mean? Like Friday night and I'm like, what's going on? Because I do remember that used to happen. Like people would call around and be like, where's the party? But you know what's nice about that? I feel like as we get older, there are fewer people you can just call and being like, hey, I'm sitting at home. Give me a call. It becomes less okay to do that, which is stupid. I can't think of anybody I could do that to now. But like in college, you could. But like now, people don't do that. I think it's about your one's age. I wonder if it's being so busy. Yeah, you don't want to bug people. And we're more guarded, so you don't want to be vulnerable. Or you might know someone professionally as well, so you've got to keep up your professional appearance a bit. You're less able to admit mistakes or be vulnerable or be silly, except with people that you really, really trust and have known for a long time. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so delightful to connect with like siblings or old friends, because you don't have to make small talk. You can just be who you are. And someone that you meet when you're older, you, you know, it takes a long time to get to know them. And because you're getting to know them as you're older, you may never get to know them in the same way. And also, you don't want to appear needy. Let's say you met someone like now, and you had a good conversation with them. You met them a couple times. You had something in common. And then you called them up out of the blue and were like, hey, I'm not doing anything. Come on over. They would think you're insane. You would just not want to impose that way. And if someone did it to you, you might be like, whoa, you're too needy. But it's also, I think, we didn't have cares, you know, responsibilities. True. And also, we didn't know, we were still forming, so we didn't know who we were yet. So you could meet anybody and you might learn something completely new about how to live your life, whereas now maybe we have opinions about how we want to live our lives, and maybe we shut ourselves off from people that are less like us. It's ridiculous. In the midst of the pandemic, the media has often focused on the increased isolation people feel stuck in their homes, unable to meet friends and family. But even before the rise of COVID, some writers were declaring a loneliness epidemic. In a 2019 op-ed, Nicholas Kristof called for waging a war on loneliness, 
citing research showing social isolation is more lethal than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. A 2018 Kaiser Family Foundation survey found that more than one in five U.S. adults often or always feel lonely. The study of social isolation has a long history in the literature of sociology, from Emile Durkheim's late 19th century study of suicide to Robert Putnam's late 20th century study of civic disengagement, characterized as bowling alone. A 2006 article in the American Sociological Review titled Social Isolation in America by Miller McPherson, Lynn Smith Lovin, and Matthew Brashears received significant publicity when it stated the average number of close confidants people have declined from nearly three in 1985 to just over two in 2004. And the number of people who said they have no close confidants more than doubled from 10% to 24.6%. This would mean nearly one in four people lacked someone with whom they could discuss concerns of an important nature. More recent research has questioned the conclusions of this study, suggesting the difference between 1985 and 2004 reflects methodological problems with the general social survey conducted by the National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago. Other scholars have argued for the benefits of more tenuous connections, casual friends, that one can rely on if needed, but that won't be constantly barging into your life or raiding your fridge like Seinfeld's Kramer. One of the liveliest debates in academia concerns whether social media has increased isolation. Sherry Turkle coined the term alone together to describe how new technology brings us together but fails to satisfy our need for deep connection. A more optimistic view comes from Dana Boyd, whose research suggests digital devices can be vital to maintaining friendships, especially among young people. I must admit, the web has been central to my project of tracking down contributors to this podcast. And obviously, there would be no podcast without the internet. Now, if you would like to form a connection with me, even a superficial one, please contact me through my website, pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Many thanks to Anjali for her reflections on connection. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.